0: Right now I'm gold dust because I'm a 39-year-old gamer that has experience <laughs> working in, in global tech companies, so has incredible. experience in sales, and I, I absolutely understand gamers and the whole you know ecosystem and environment they come from.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions, and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. <laughs> My guest today is a CMO and has been described as Mr. Metaverse, it is all things in the virtual space and the metaverse today. This is the passion of my guest and he will elaborate on what's happening there. An interesting fact, my guest claimed that he, and I quote, rocked the name of Tolkien from the Lord of the Rings well before Peter Jackson, the film director, popularized it. We'll find out more about his claim. This is the new series on Talk, the retail series, where we talk to heads, gurus, and C-suite leaders in this space and beyond, among other things, about how this sector is morphing in the metaverse. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries.
0: Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.
1: Oregon Mulladex is the Chief Marketing Officer, PR and Sales at Your Open Metaverse and BeamUp, up trailblazing Solarum based ecosystem and platform that enables artists, developers, and businesses to co create meta reality. We'll hear more about this corporation in the course of this discussion. In a previous life, Oregon worked for Oracle and LinkedIn a massive insatiable appetite for tech, crypto, AI, AR, virtual reality, and transhumanism. For as long as he can remember, Aragorn's current role is the natural progression in this direction. He and his organization are really attempting to go where no human has been before. I had to get that line in. Finally, he's comfortable on this stage, providing lectures, speeches, and marketing activities. So this should be an interesting conversation on his talk today. I'm ready to start. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mr. Metaverse, aka Aragorn, to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us today.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Elaine. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Um, y- you are prolific on podcasts, and um, everyone wants a bit. Uh, everyone <laughs> everyone wants a bit of you, you know, to just talk about the Metaverse. I think by now most people know something about the Metaverse, but yeah. But I, I read this from your organisation, which I thought was interesting. It reads as we are trailblazing towards the future we can imagine a sustainable reality where travel and consumption are virtual a place where nationality gender race and ethnicity no longer confine you but instead are choices for you to make in this new reality everyone shares similar opportunities as they explore a global market of virtualized experiences and products i mean this is star trek stuff <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's. That's actually the opener from our white paper. Yes, yeah. I know. It is.
1: I I've thought, oh my goodness, Captain Kirk I, talking to I
0: yeah well look first of all i'm i'm really surprised that you read it so um, almost nobody does even though i, I, I tell people myself. all the time yeah no <laughs> I, i'm really impressed you read it and uh yeah i'm very i'm very proud of that piece of uh uh of that uh the white paper itself yes, I, mean, I,
1: I, I think I, I i felt you coming out of that white paper so I'm just like, <laughs> this, this episode is going to be great but you know there's more to your organization than the lines i've just read so, yes. so please you know provide my listeners and or, a brief summary of your open universe, your role, and the plans going forward.
0: Yes, yes. Well, um, my role uh, as CMO, (laughs) it's actually funny because um, I have a a massive background in sales, um, not per se so much in marketing, but as I have worked at LinkedIn, uh, and I've I've for, for a long time, I also did a lot of training in social selling. So I helped Companies, bigger companies, to understand how they, their executives and their sales teams, could uh, leverage LinkedIn to to build their brand, and as a result, also help build the brand of their company. And then, on the next step, connect connect to their audience. So when I was asked to join this company, they asked me to join, and initially, it wasn't even clear what role I was going to get. And when they asked me to become CMO, I said, "Well, I don't know if I'm the right person because I'm not, you know, traditional." A marketeer or anything like that, and he said, "Well, it's okay. We we think you can do it." And the funny thing is that as I rolled into this role, I found out that marketing in this space is absolutely not like it is in any other space.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, but that's my role. I'm the CMO. I take care of the uh, public relations. I do a lot of this. These podcasts. Mm-hmm. I get on stage, and I I run this the the, the marketing team from strategic strategic yeah. oh, strategic point of view. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and you're right. Yeah. I think there's a new type of marketeer and marketing manager that's required in this space. So yeah. you, your concerns about traditional marketing is unfounded because it's a completely different ballgame, what we're dealing with here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, recently on the social media channels, um, LinkedIn, you mentioned LinkedIn, you've worked in LinkedIn, but th- this was specifically yep. on LinkedIn. You were defending the metaverse. So it got me thinking, why are people- I'm
0: always defending the metaverse. Yes,
1: you are. You are the metaverse defender, Mr. Metaverse himself. Uh, why Why are people so skeptical about the metaverse and, and why do you and why do I get the feeling this whole development is moving really fast?
0: Well, it is moving really fast, and um, no, that's an absolute fact. I, I don't think there's ever been any innovation technologically or otherwise in human history that has probably moved uh, at this pace so and I think that has a lot to do also with why people are maybe afraid of it. But then again, if we look in human history, Star Trek might want you to think, and, and Star Wars and, and Western sci-fi in general wants you to think, Western sci-fi in general want you to think that that humankind is always looking for that next frontier. That, that is something that that is in our, in our genes. Yeah. But I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> I think yeah. there are some of us that are like that. And those people absolutely, you know, take us to different places. Elon Musk is one of those people. Um, But there is a lot of us, probably most of us, that are generally afraid of any kind of change, any kind of risk, um, and try to avoid that. And I think that that is actually what is in our genes. I, I think that the people that go out to find that new frontier, are generally, you know, people that are, you know, they they are the exceptions. Uh, I am actually bipolar, just like Tim Ferriss. And um, when I was in my group, when I because I had one very deep depression during the recent the lockdown period,
1: mm.
0: I was in a group therapy, and we were discussing this in the group, and we we concluded that even though we, people call it a disorder. We thought we were divergence. We agreed with each other, no, we are not. We don't have disorders. We're not sick. We are divergence. And I think that there's a, a big case to be made for that. If you look at the Maasai, for example, in Africa, then you find that the, those members of the Maasai clan that have ADHD or ADD generally thrive more than the rest. So their their adhd there makes them go out more often explore more you know find and so they find more sources of food they find more sources of water etc they find you know the better spots for shade etc all of that stuff as a result of their what we call in the west a disorder and what is for people in the west very often a, a challenging condition to live with right mm-hmm. so i think that that is also human we change none of us are the same and our mental changes what we might see as disorders might also just be genetic changes that allow for a lot of diverse versa, diverse ways of approaching the world and it's some of those people that that trailblaze forward into this new future but most of us are a little afraid of everything yeah. different than new
1: you, you actually got me thinking And i had this conversation as well before is that everyone talks about how we were before we are as you know men and women today but yeah. I always imagine what are we going to be like in you know a hundred thousand two hundred thousand oh, that's the hell. really
0: exciting part isn't it that,
1: that's, <laughs> that's what interests me not what what's gone before yeah you know we are fish in the sea ones but more so what's going to happen in the future and perhaps what you just mentioned in terms of what in quotes people call disorder these are mm. all part of the evolution into yes. the next stage maybe who knows?
0: But, maybe, um, maybe. Yeah.
1: but uh, uh, but, we, but we digress. Let's 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 move <laughs> back into the metaverse. Um, what is your concern about it, if you've got any?
0: Uh, well, uh, I mean, of course, I have concerns about the metaverse, but I usually don't talk about them because uh, plenty of other people do. <laughs> <laughs> come um, and talk
1: to me. You're yeah, I'll uh, talk to me. Okay, well, I'll, I'll What, I'll, I'll, what I'll, are you I'll... concerned about?
0: Well, look, you know, something that we've spoken on uh, uh, a few times internally, and I've I've also brought this up in some other talks, is, um, you know, if we move into a, a, a new digital world and we, we want it to be free, right? Mm-hmm. There's a concern of freedom. Because everyone is now talking about open and decentralized metaverse and we need to be free and privacy needs to be uh, re- re- regained, right? Because our privacy was stolen from us, from big tech. And I, I, I fight for that all the you time. Wanted you to pay for it.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: yes, exactly. Yes. But, um, but the truth is that the problem here, and this is a big problem I see for the metaverse, is the problem is that most people think freedom is something that is unlimited and should be available to everybody. And that is a massive misconception because my lim- my freedom can be only so, you know, imagine like a bubble around you. Mm-hmm. I can only have so much freedom because if it becomes too big, it will come at the cost of other people. Mm. Think about it. If we go back, you know, 200 years in time and slavery was still a thing, mm-hmm. white people were free and black people were not, but the freedom of white people, you know, in this case cam- came at the cost of the black slaves. Mm-hmm. Right? So they had to reduce their freedom. They had to give up their freedom to, to own a slave. So there's rights and responsibilities that all make up together, in my opinion, and that's how I view the world. They make up the amount of freedom that we have, and we need to share that equally. Now, as we move into the metaverse, people think that we're going to create a new world where everybody's going to be 100% free. But imagine this. If everybody's 100% free, that means that any pedophile can start his own pedophile metaverse with any other med- pedophile. And then they could create virtual children in there, perhaps even using AI. And then the question becomes, and this is morally very challenging, is gonna, this is going to be a very tough cookie for us all to, 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 you know, to deal with, because will we allow that? And where do we draw the line? If they only have virtual children, is it then okay, maybe, or not? Uh, or what does that mean for us? Or you know, How do we deal with these kinds of situations? And this is just one example. And there will be thousands of examples like this. So, and there's many, many chances that you know mm-hmm. that it's gonna that it's gonna uh, uh, produce new problems for society, new problems for us as a people. Um, and so, the biggest risk I see is that on the one hand, the metaverse has a massive potential to create new problems for us and how we live together, and how we feel each other, and how we deal with each other. And at the same time, people are already trying to bring their their, their old world problems into the metaverse unnecessarily. For, you know, for example, because people are now trying to come up with you know um, I, I, I know this is controversial, but like with uh, I, I saw there was Black Metaverse week in the Bronx in, in the United States. And I think to myself, why, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Racial politics are something of the old world. We have an opportunity to leave that behind, to move into a virtual space, you know a more virtual world where we can let go of all those things that differentiate us and embrace the things you know that, that 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 bring us together so yeah so that's this now you have an no, no, I have something the challenges but, but,
1: but you're <laughs> assuming that everyone entering into the metaverse has that same point of view and are able to as you put it park their load before entering into the universe some people mm. cannot do that and you know and then it's a minefield for regulations as a minefield also for all sorts yeah. of things i mean it's it's we, it's still embryonic uh, yes. the whole thing extremely embryonic yes and yes. um so uh, one of my questions would be um how young is this metaverse uh, and and um, and what uh, what i mean by this what's to come um, apart from what you've mentioned what do, you know what are the parts that make <sighs> to come
0: yeah well let me start by saying uh, I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I don't okay. know. You're
1: um, not a politician. I,
0: yeah. I w- I w- exactly. I was on stage with um, Rick Vera the other day, and I really appreciate him. He's a writer from Belgium. He wrote a book, Guide to the Ecosystem Economy, and, and we had a great talk. And he also said, we don't know. We don't know. And... And, and, and I really mean that. I mean, I can dream. You know, the only thing that sets me or people like Rick, etc., uh, maybe, maybe like you, apart from everybody else, is that we can we can dream about mm-hmm. what is coming. And we take, the, we, we take that opportunity to dream about it and, and really do that almost consciously. And so we come up with dreams of what might be coming. But the truth is, nobody knows. If we go back to 1998, you go out in the street. I have videos of this, literally videos of this here in the Netherlands. You go out in the street and you ask somebody. Do you have a mobile phone? No, I don't have one. Why? I don't see the point. Would you want to have a mobile phone? No, I think it's ridiculous. I don't need to be called any time of day or there's a mum saying oh. Call me when I'm on my bicycle. She makes fun of it. And there's another guy who says, you know, if my car breaks down, there's always a, a farmer near or something where I can go or a telephone cell, right? These people didn't want it. They didn't need it. And they had absolutely no way of foreseeing the future that they were heading into. They didn't know that five to 10 years later, everybody would have a, yeah. a computer in their pocket with a touchscreen that contains your literally your whole life. Mm. So when you're asking me what's coming, the truth is I don't know. I can dream about it, and if I dream about it, I think that what is coming is a future where technology will finally become something that will be become almost impossible. Uh, sorry, impossible. I mean invisible. Mm-hmm in our daily lives so think of a forest when you go into a forest and this is something that we've only recently begun to uh, to discover as human beings right we think there's a forest and we think there's trees and we think all these trees you know are individual uh, plant uh, you know uh, organisms and there's Mm -hmm. animals but the truth is we're finding out now the truth is that forests are actually one massive you know kind of eco organism Mm -hmm. because they're all connected by fungi right? And the fungi are all under the, under the ground. We don't see them. And even when we, we dig up the ground, we don't really understand that the fungi are there. You don't really see them. But these fungi are like a technology that connects all the trees together, allow them to exchange resources, allow them to, to communicate together. And we thought that the internet would be like that. But for some reason, the internet Initially, uh, with the with the rise of social media, instead of making us more social, it made us more antisocial. Because even <laughs> though we could communicate, we were disconnected, and we were disembodied, and we were almost dehumanized mm-hmm. when we exchanged with each other. And well, now the metaphors,
1: metaphors continue to do that.
0: No, I think that the metaphors is actually actually a great opportunity for us to finally get back to uh, to reconnect our human psychology. But so isn't
1: the- that, isn't that sort of a, a, a paradox that we have
0: to get into the virtual space in order to reconnect with the physical world. Well, I'm not saying that we need that to to reconnect with the physical world. Oh, or maybe it is actually, it's an interesting point you're making. I'm thinking about it, but because we have moved into this digital space and because we are spending so much time in this digital space, especially younger generations, you know, that has an effect on our lives, um, especially at a young age. Mm -hmm. And so,
1: but they're seeing that as normal. They're seeing a, a, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but um, you're not, you're, you're probably in that category, but more sort of the, the generation alphas. They're gonna grow up seeing this as normal and the way to be, being in my virtual space or not in my virtual space, Yes. probably more time in my virtual space. I can imagine that. I suppose, yes. you know, someone walking around and perhaps in a sort of a park environment, they'll sit on the bench, they'll put their glasses on and they'll be, bam, in the metaverse. And yes. it be that sort of thing, rather than these big clunky things that we wear. It's just a normal sort of glasses. You won't even know they're in the metaverse. You just see people sitting there in sort of a gorm state. But you don't know <laughs> in the
0: metaverse. Well, no, I'm not afraid <laughs> of that. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that. Uh, right. I understand what you're saying. And yeah. uh, yes, as you know, the tech that we're seeing come up now is XR, right? Mixed reality. So we have glasses already going into production this year. Snap already you know, there's already two generations of snap glasses that allow you to see virtual mm-hmm. assets three-dimensionally in physical space uh, so i think that when people think people think of the metaverse they think of only virtual space right a, a different reality on top of our existing reality and so they they foresee this future where people are lying in a corner like heroin addicts you know <laughs> living in their <laughs> digital world but completely you know uh, ignoring their real needs yeah. and their physical yeah. body and et but that's not what's going to happen What's going to happen initially first is, is what you saw with Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go was was really light years ahead uh, of, of its time. And even today, there's still 827,000 on average players a day mm-hmm. that play Pokemon Go. And these people are gamers from all generations. And what do they do? They don't lie in a corner in their house. No, in fact, they use Pokemon Go... Uh, because they love the game but they also love generally speaking that it makes them go outside one of my best friends michael plays pokemon go he loves it he he, he takes he has a little girl right she's she's my godchild flora and she's you know one years old almost now he takes her outside uh and he goes for a walk with her in the in the carriage and he takes his pokemon go and so he gets to walk with her through the park and he, at the same time, he's playing his game and he's really enjoying that, right? And But he's still using a phone because that's how this augmented reality works. But the next generation is going to be using glasses where mm-hmm. they will have new ways of interacting in the physical reality with a virtual reality that becomes almost like a layer on top of reality. Yeah. Yeah. So, So I think that for every person... That will be gaming and not leaving the house anymore because they'll be in virtual reality. Yeah. There will be at least one other person that will actually go outside more often because they, you know, they find one of these augmented reality, you know, reasons to go outside.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, I do hope the change allows for that, sort of, <laughs> if you get people outside more so than inside. And I, and I sort of imagine in years to come, people will look at um, the smartphones and think that we, that we used to use these and. Um, cumbersome electronic Mm -hmm. devices when this is all um five to ten years and we already will have intertwined into reality and yeah yeah so that's interesting okay let's um look at the metaverse in business in a sector that I, i pretty much want to concentrate on with this series um what is your understanding of how it the metaverse is being received in the retail industry what exciting things are you seeing
0: well actually um Well, how is it being received? (laughs) It's a different question, perhaps, from what exciting things (laughs) I'm seeing.
1: Okay, what are you Um, seeing first? Let's talk about the positives.
0: (laughs) Okay, so, well, uh, one of the funny things that we've seen, and I've experienced this hands-on because we are, I can't, unfortunately, I don't think it's wise to name any brands, but let's say one of the biggest sports brands in the world that Mm -hmm. has already really jumped on the bandwagon when it comes to NFTs and the metaverse, seemingly from the outside they they they're doing all these projects mm-hmm. uh, but when we went to talk to them on how to actually connect their metaverse nft activities mm-hmm. back to their actual retail because mm-hmm. these are two different bra- branches of their company even they weren't interested mm. And I'm not sure whether that is because it was internal politics and the departments and the people that were already working on these Metaverse initiatives. Do they understand you know,
1: what you were trying to do?
0: Um, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I was really surprised about it anyway. we, Maybe, we yeah,
1: like, like I said, sorry to interrupt you, but you're no. a new type of marketeer, a marketing manager. You are not talking probably to the same new type of marketing manager. And that's probably what happened there.
0: It could be something like that. I I, I really can't say for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But actually, it would be good perhaps for me to take a step back and to kind of because you asked me at the start to explain what we do and I never really did. Um, no,
1: no, no there, there's time for that. We're, we're going to talk about okay. what we do, so there's yep. there's room for that. Um, uh, so okay, let, let's do let's do it now then. So provide some details of what you do. I mean, everything's all about co-creating, co-creating. It's really everywhere here that co-create. Yeah. Tell me what yep. you do in your organization.
0: Yeah, so uh, what I'll do is I'll quickly explain what we do, try to do it quickly. It's not so easy. And then I'll try to link that back to it's our experience in retail.
1: I'll <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll link it back to retail to try and, and further answer your question uh, from before. So, um, the metaverse, uh, if we look at the rise of the internet, what we see is that it was only able to rise as it did because of open standards, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, what we need now, again, are some, ser- some sort of open standards. And uh, of course, you know we're already seeing movement by Meta and, and other big corporates to kind of create these new walled gardens where they keep everything inside. They want to contain that metaverse inside of their own infrastructure, and that would mean no open standards epic games uh, is a company behind one of the spatial computing engines that is uh, one of the two biggest ones in the world which this one's unreal engine epic games are behind it and epic games really want to have an open decentralized metaverse and they're really fighting for that yeah. and one of the first moves they made to enable this was that to, already back in 2015 they made unreal engine free to use um and up until like a million uh, in revenue if you make more than a million in revenue selling assets that you made in Unreal Engine, then you need to pay royalties. Now, I hope that will change in the future as well, but they already made it very accessible. And uh, that has, of of course, also helped them to become one of the biggest, but their engine is revolutionary, especially with the latest update on Unreal Engine 5. Now, what we're building is uh, we believe that apart from an open standards, there also need to be an infrastructural foundation, right? Just like in a real physical city, there is plumbing, there's electricity. And if you build a new building, then you connect to those two instantly and you get an internet connection and it allows you to partake in the city and, and make the building, you know, usable. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way in the in the metaverse as it is you know rising up now coming into existence we need something like that we need everything to be interconnected and interoperable and it basically needs to be so from the get go which is why i say that 99% of what's currently called metaverse uh, by companies is not metaverse even projects like decentraland and sandbox are not metaverse there's there's nothing metaverse about them all it, uh, they are they are they are game worlds that uh, you know, are built around the concept of virtual real estate mm-hmm. on top of a blockchain. And that's what it is. It's not a metaverse because they're not interoperable yet. They're not interconnected yet. They're, it's not frictionless. I cannot just log into... I cannot frictionlessly log into Decentraland and then instantaneously move to the sandbox. I can't. And these worlds each have completely different rules and regulations or their own kind of, you know, let's call it physics. The way I look in Sandbox is completely different from the way my avatar looks in Decentraland, and I have to set them up separately. Well, you know, some of them are now collaborating with Ready Player Me. Um, That will make it a little easier, but then again, Ready Player Me as an avatar system... Um, it's centralized because Ready Player Me basically says, "Here's my, is our database with avatars. You have yours that's on there somewhere, and you get it out of there." It's not decentralized either. So, in my opinion, none of that is really metaverse. Now, there's two ways of solving this. Either you build software, which a company in Amsterdam is doing, Meta Portal, Meta You build the software that allows all of these different silos, all of these different, uh, you know, individual virtual environments built on blockchains to connect with each other and have that frictionless you know, connectivity, interoperability. But that's a very hard job to do because that means every single time that there is something new being built, you need to build a new connection. It's very complicated. And all of these worlds have different plumbing systems internally, so to speak. So that's a a tough job. The other way to going about it is to say, look, we're going to build a foundational platform. And basically anybody that builds on that is instantly connected and interoperable. And that's what we're doing. So that's your open metaverse is what we're doing. We're building a software development kit with Unreal Engine and Solana blockchain. And so anybody in the future that wants to build a meta experience mm-hmm. uses that software development kit, can put it on a platform and be instantly interoperable. Another thing we're doing is we're building it with pixel streaming technology, allowing it to be accessible from any device. So not just from a laptop or a virtual reality headset or you know any device. If you have a mobile smartphone, that's the minimum you need. You will be able to access these worlds worlds and partake in them. Um, So that's what we do. And then tying that back to retail, we also feel that there needs to be a tangible connection between the physical and the meta realities and the meta layers that that, that are being built, that we're building for these brands, that these brands are building themselves. So we try to tie that back. And the way we do that is through NFTs, which is why NFTs is, in my opinion, a very important part of a metaverse future because NFTs, are not just you know uh, the digital uh, uh, certificates of ownership and authenticity for virtual assets, which is already a great way of using them. But they can do the same thing for physical assets, and they can connect physical assets to virtual assets. Mm-hmm. So if Nike, for example, were to sell their shoe, and they sell it w- instead of a receipt, I, 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 I'm you heard it here first. If I'm going to do one forecast for the future, I'm going to say that ten years from now, if you buy an item. It's gonna have an NFT attached to it as a receipt rather than a traditional receipt. And that NFT will give you the information on what you paid for it, when it was bought, where you bought it. It will also tell you all the rights that come with owning that asset. And if you sell the asset, you'll sell the NFT. Is, so in the future,
1: it, is it the new, is it the future barcoding system? Is yes, it is? absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And the, 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 the cool thing about it is it has great potential. For example, I can foresee a future where that will really help us reduce our carbon footprint because it will incentivize brands to create uh, assets, physical assets, that no longer degrade because yeah. they can still receive royalties even 10, 20, 30 years later whenever that asset is resold. Yeah. So there will be new business models coming out of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And. and- Yes. Yeah, uh, Sorry.
1: <laughs> just to add um, something that you, you said, um, because I think fairly recently um there was a virtual Gucci handbag that was sold for, for the, the yeah. most expensive. And the tone cheap question for those with you know that's layman, why? And and please elaborate on the promise of NFTs like you've been doing.
0: Yes. So the digital Gucci handbag uh, that sold for $4,000, um, which is even more than a, really, uh, a real one. I, I think why was that sold and why like that? Well, honestly, I think in this case, it's just a matter of um, people wanting to be early adopters. People are excited about this new thing. They want to be the first one to have it. It's novel. It's new. If, if you have the money, why not? Right? I am. I am not. As far as I know, there is no specific extra uh, value attached to this Gucci handbag up to this point. They might be working on that. Um, it's I, I'm just a
1: historical sure. thing being the first, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the important thing to know about this Gucci handbag, by the way, uh, is that it's not actually an NFT. <laughs> it was it's sold. Not. No, it was sold in Roblox, and it was sold for Robux, uh, which is the internal uh, currency of Roblox. I think around three hundred and fifty thousand Robux, mm-hmm. and that equals four thousand something something dollars. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a virtual asset. It's not an NFT, which is also and that here come here we make that you know connection back to retail and NFTs. This is the amazing thing about NFTs. NFTs allow you to actually own a virtual asset. This This Gucci handbag, even though it was paid for, still is owned by the studio Roblox. It's not owned by the actual player. That's not how it works. The IP belongs to Roblox. And this is what NFTs are going to change in the future. And and this is why I I, I was flabbergasted that gamers uh, around the world still really reject Metaverse, reject NFTs, hate the idea of of play-to-earn models. Because for the first time in history, uh, gamers get an opportunity... To actually build wealth, earn earn you know something through doing whatever they enjoy, and yet they're rejecting it because, and the funny thing is, they're rejecting it because they are afraid that corporates will hijack this technology to make them pay pay even more. Um, Yes, but
1: you're talking about gamers. Do you think they are molding and changing marketing and advertising going forward?
0: Yes. I think, I think they already do. I think gamers have a massive impact on, on, um, I mean, if you look at the gaming market, when, when I was young, you, being a gamer was not something you, you told everybody, <laughs> right? No. Like when I was in school, my mom bought me a computer early on and, and, and she, she really stimulated me. But when I, I turn, took to gaming, she wasn't necessarily very happy about that you know, she thought I was going to be a computer coder or something. And, 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 and even, you know, people considered gaming to be a waste of your time. Even as I grew up, if I would date, I would generally not tell the women I dated (laughs) that I was a big gamer because that was considered something for kids. And now funny enough, you know, I, I only got this job probably because I've been a massive gamer right now. I'm gold dust because I'm a 39 year old Gamer that has experience working in in global tech companies has experience in sales, and I, I absolutely understand gamers and the whole you know ecosystem and environment they come from. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, so, so you are you really are the new breed of marketeer, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> full circle now. Yeah. Now, what you've been doing all in your youth is now so useful in today's world. Okay, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about users, let's talk about the users and. And the experience. Can you tell me about the user experience now in what we can describe as the metaverse and what you expect one visits to be in 10 years time? I've actually attended a metaverse party, uh, Mm. an online virtual party. And I'm assuming that in two years time, it's going to be a whole completely different game, Never mind 10 years time. So can you just, I apologize, give us a sort of a flavor of what's to come.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. So right now, uh, like, uh, let's. Go, I, I'd like to go back to something I said before. We're now at a point in time where technology will become almost invisible to us slowly. It's it's not going to happen overnight, but I think it's going to happen fairly quickly. So I would say in the next five to 10 years, we'll see this development. And, and within 20 years, it will be completely almost something that we don't think about anymore. Technology will be something that we interact with frictionlessly. Um, we won't have to log in and out everywhere anymore. We won't have to Put on super clunky headsets. We won't be carrying around massive laptops. We might, we might not even have really big, you know, uh, desktop stations anymore. Uh, we definitely won't need computer screens anymore within ten years. Um, we won't have televisions anymore in our houses. Uh, as far, if if I if my future vision comes true. What will happen is that we will in- go into an age first where we all get augmented reality glasses that we put on, and then we'll move on to uh, augmented uh, lenses that we literally put in just like people that have normal day lenses uh, now put in their lenses in the morning, and then we'll move into a place where we'll probably have some Neuralink implanted uh, you know, 30, 40 years from now. You know, you might even get that choice as a kid. I don't know. Perhaps it will be a necessity. I don't know. But we'll have direct brain uh, computer interfacing. And so we will just see everything. Um, We will virtualize everything we can virtualize, right? I'm sitting behind a desk here. I still have uh, three screens in front of me. I have uh, a a mixing panel for my music. I have photo cases from my parents when they get married, uh, from my godchildren. I have pencils here, stuff like that. I think a load of that stuff will just be virtualized and my desk will be pretty much almost empty uh, in a few years from now, at least in a decade from my my desk will be because I'm an early adopter, obviously. Uh, for other people, it might take a little longer, but I th- think that's definitely something where we're going. I, I, I often make the comparison with the the Vulcans in Star Trek. Um, <laughs> if you've ever watched Star Trek, uh, you might have thought to yourself, wow, how come that the most scientifically advanced race in the Federation uh, with the Science Academy that everybody listens to lives on a planet where you only see rocks and mountains and no <laughs> roads and no cities and and you know, how, how would no telephone masks? No, no, nothing. It's not like a Star Wars uh, planet uh, where everything is filled with, you know, super sci-fi stuff. And uh, I think that that is because, uh, you know, it's it's never, it's not official Star Trek canon, obviously. But I think it's because uh, Vulcans have gone so far technologically that they have virtualized almost everything. And so they can, they can teleport virtually to different environments where they interact with each other, uh, live in different virtual environments um, all the time and uh, everything is virtualized in there so they don't need to build any roads they don't need to have it look like there's roads they can make everything look very natural and etc mm-hmm.
1: so, so, that- all right that, that's interesting and, uh, i mean you're talking about star trek and, and this is just a sort of a, a side thing but the thing that I'm, i was always puzzled by with star trek I, I used to watch it sort of know, when the original captain kirk was in it <laughs> in every single episode at some point you know, you remember, these guys have traveled beyond anywhere. They've mm. traveled in the universe, in, in their ships, whatever. But every time they get a knock, they're always falling from side to side. You know, no one thought of <laughs> inventing a seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one thought of inventing a seatbelt, but they always sort of, and that's, that's just a side nonsense on my part. But um, going back to what you said, so which, which country continent do you think is moving faster in this, in this arena?
0: yeah uh, that's an interesting question because I uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me would be China I would say China and Asia mm-hmm. um, but then again there's also challenges there obviously the Chinese government particularly is not a really big fan of any kind of decentralized technology because that is in direct conflict with of course you know their outset of having you know more control over the population mm-hmm. um, but then again at the same time, Uh, We are making a a very big mistake here, especially in Europe, looking uh, to the United States for technological leadership. And that is because the reason we're doing that is because of the language and the cultural barrier that we experience when we look to the East, uh, when we look to Asia. But the truth is, is that that is where the real technological innovation is taking place. That's where the real innovation in terms of adoption is taking place as well. And we can see this in uh, in many ways. You know, in Asia, QR codes were already massive ten years before they came to Europe. And QR codes, I think, uh, form a very solid early foundation between the virtual and the physical world, connecting the two uh, intrinsically at every point. Um, Another example is drones, which has nothing to do with the metaverse per se, but uh, drone technology is still uh, in development by Amazon and uh, is not being rolled out in any significant way yet in China. And most people don't even know this. There have been hundreds of drone delivery routes uh, already since 2016, 17, right? So the real, the, the place where we should be looking um it's definitely definitely asia that's where it's happening and and they are are leading the way in so many ways
1: mm-hmm. uh, in
0: terms of adoption
1: um, I, I probably would agree with you there uh, let, let's look at collaborations um what are you seeing in this space as a result of where the metaverse is going what sort of collaborations are you seeing what organizations are getting together to uh, more on a b2b level as opposed to b2c And and perhaps your organization what sort of collaborations are happening in that space
0: Ooh, that's a hard question to answer um, and the reason for that is that it's not very clear there are some brands that are really out there um, you know they're not hiding it they're, they're, they're jumping on the bandwagon and they're making a lot of noise doing it um, because and, and that's probably also the reason they're doing it they, they're taking this opportunity look at Nike with the RFKT. With their, with their virtual sneakers. We look at Adidas, of course, uh, they're jumping on there. Um, we have Disney that has already announced that they have a very clear metaverse um, or they're working on a, on a metaverse plan and they, they've done acquisitions to support that. We have, of course, Microsoft, who have acquired Activision Blizzard for 70 billion um, uh, earlier this year or at the end of last year. Which uh, which was a, sign- a massive uh, acquisition and uh, clearly clearly as part of their Metaverse strategy. Funny enough, though, it was the uh, last month that they uh, Activision Blizzard announced, and this was uh, coming back to our conversation about gamers and and their <clears throat> pushback on NFTs. Activision Blizzard announced that they won't be doing nothing with NFTs to kind of uh, um, appease their gaming community. Um, and take away some of the frustrations and fears that were growing there in, in, in regards to this. Uh, and that was after uh, Ubisoft re- re- received massive backlash from their community when they tried to introduce uh, NFTs already early on. Uh, so to get, yeah, that's funny because the one, yeah, anyway. So Microsoft <laughs> bought them to, to go into the metaverse, but something that's essentially part of metaverse technology is has been rejected at this point. Um, but in terms of collaborations, um, yeah, everybody's interested right now. I mean, I, I got asked to come and speak at Rabobank, which is one of the biggest Dutch banks um, the other day. They're, I think they're pretty big internationally actually as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and everybody's talking about it. I went to Deloitte to talk about it there, which is kind of interesting because Deloitte also released a, um, a report on it. And yet they asked me to come and explain it to them internally. Um, and then they censored me massively, which was also a very interesting experience. I wasn't allowed to talk about a lot of stuff because they thought it would upset their employees. Really ex- special experience. Um, so collaborations, I, I, I th- it's hard to say. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we've been approached by, by big and small brands, but the, the brands that we are moving quickest with are smaller brands. So sh- they're, they're very, let's say, modern. So for example, we have a very big YouTube influencer, mm-hmm. which has, of course, you know resources. They have a massive following, but they have a very short, small kind of hierarchy and organization allowing them to make really quick decisions and okay. it's these kind of brands and companies that are, are willing to jump on this and they're seeing this and they're saying okay this is so going to be
1: it's more the, the agile brands and the yeah. agile organizations that yeah. Yeah. really want to work and push forward with this one as suppose to yeah. the established ones that have yeah. legacy and legacy to, to manage yeah um, the... yeah. okay Um. You, sorry do you want to add anything more on there do, do you want to tell anybody if, uh, organization sorry do you want to tell my listeners perhaps what collaborations you look forward to engaging with in terms of your organization
0: yes uh well i look forward to some of the big brands actually there's one brand from the netherlands that we're talking with uh can't say which one yet unfortunately but they're a 105 year old company Mm -hmm. and when they approached us uh, we said internally, wow, this is, <laughs> this is not going to work out. They will, no way that they will be able to get into the right mindset of the, the metaverse. And uh, they surprised us massively. So I'm uh, very excited uh, about what, where we're headed with them. I don't know if we're going to be able to make it work. It's uh, still uh, quite a pickle because they have a very traditional old school business model that has to do you know, with, with physical space. And now they want to move into a virtual space. But the, the most important part of the whole conversation and what made us decide to move forward with them was when they said is we don't want to do what we're doing in the physical world again in the virtual world. We want to reinvent ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think this is uh, an essential tip that I have for any brand that wants to move into the metaverse. Do not, please do not make the mistake of copying what you know from the physical world into this virtual realm because that will not work. Read the book The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth realize that the deflationary technology, uh, the deflationary power of technology is now at a strength as never experienced before in human history. And it's increasing and growing at an exponential rate. And it, it will create abundance in many areas. Uh, not food, of course, because you can't create virtual food that we can eat, but in terms of having access to technologies. Imagine, for example, if we virtualize computer screens, if we offload compu- uh, you know, computer processing power from our personal devices into the cloud through things like pixel streaming, that will re- very, very fast reduce the cost of that for everybody. That means that more people have access to these, these, uh, these things, more people have access to bigger screens, computers, uh, and uh, technology as a whole. And therefore, um, scarcity in this world will mean less because in a virtual world this is for example why i think virtual real estate is absolutely ridiculous concept because virtual yeah. real estate is dependent on location and scarcity right adjacency and scarcity is what makes virtual real estate or uh, real estate uh, work so virtual real estate has neither of those there's no you, you know you you can't position your virtual real estate along a highway where people go commuting right so it just you know just makes absolutely no sense. And already seeing in big projects now, we're seeing that big brands bought virtual real estate. They did one event there and then they did nothing because they don't know what to do there. They didn't think it through. And because they're doing nothing, there's no reason for people to go there. So as a brand, if you want to move into the metaverse, if you want to do something with this, please think out of the box. Listen to those crazy people in your company that you think, are absolutely bonkers that watch too much much Star Trek, um, because they're the ones that are going to be the only ones that will truly understand the, the potential of being in a space like this. They uh, are the there's
1: translators, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the translators. Okay. Um, the future. Uh, this is an open question, and I'm sure you will give me almost a philosophical answer with this one. What do you think will ever forever change as a result of the metaverse? Wow. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got you there. Yeah, you got I, me there. I've, I've, I've managed to stop you from talking. Wow.
0: <laughs> what will forever change? Well, okay. I think that if we're lucky, because I cannot guarantee this, but I think that if we're lucky, the metaverse will forever change how we as humans um, view each other. I think the metaverse has this immense potential to create understanding and empathy between all of us. Imagine it like this. Your kids, you know, 50 years ago, or, you know, even 20 years ago when I grew up, mm-hmm. most, of t- most of the time the kids spent, you know, would be spent outside with f- or playing with friends. And so the friends that they would have would be friends that they re- found locally, right? Either in your neighborhood or in your school. Which means that most of the time your friends would be same ethnic background, same economic background or status, you know, same place in society as you, generally speaking. And even if you had friends outside of that, it would be within certain margins, right? It would be very unlikely for a guy like me, for example, to be friends with, you know, a, our crown prince, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. or with or a billionaire's kid. It, it just wouldn't happen very or, or very limited yet. Kids today, they go online, they go into Roblox, they play with their friends. Their friends, they made in Roblox. And who plays Roblox? I mean, anybody would play, any, any kid can play Roblox, right? So that means that they're making a, a white kid from a white suburb in Amsterdam with a, you know, tradi- you know, standard middle-class background might be playing with a an Indian kid um, from a, a different kind of background, rich, poor, whatever, or a Chinese kid, or, you know, or an American kid and they will be playing together. That will be the basis for their relationship. That will be the basis for their exchange. But as they grow and as they continue, they will find out more stuff about each other. This is, I'm, I'm really kind of describing the experiences that I had throughout my life because I've always been an online gamer very early on. Mm-hmm. But what I did was not the standard yet. Mm. One of my best friends today is a Jehovah's Witness from New York State, right? I'm an atheist, he's a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> it makes absolutely no sense he's a plumber uh, he actually is working at a nuclear plant now and i am in you know marketing into the metaverse but we're really good friends And I trust him completely and I always trust his input and and, and we have great conversations and we've grown to respect each other significantly and that's only because we found each other in a virtual world through gaming. So if you're asking me what will change forever for humanity is that if I think that if we're lucky and we move into this virtual metaverse age, I think that it will take away so many boundaries and barriers between humans around the world because our kids will grow up in an environment where they will connect with each other and the first question that, that the first, they will not see each other and see hey this is a, a white kid a black kid a yellow kid and and judge them based on that on based on you know what they got from home they will w- won't be able to right so biases we can we really have an opportunity here to get rid of so many biases and i think that is possibly one of the most beautiful things that could come out of this
1: and and perhaps it will hopefully it will um the final question on this episode um this is for the guests in the series uh i'm I'm, almost not sure i should ask ask that question because you've thrown in so many things that really could cater for (laughs) the question but i'm going to throw it in anyway and if you say pass no problem what is the solution that you think is yet to be developed but sits firmly within the metaverse e-commerce world once available
0: a solution that has yet to be velo- developed that sits firmly in a metaverse e-commerce world yep that's the question <laughs> you can say
1: pass because you've, give, you've dropped so many gems and so many interesting stuff but if you've got something there well, yeah, just adds to it
0: i think that uh, a solution to be developed let, uh, i think there If we're talking about e-commerce here, I think that what companies really need to um, get their head around is the potential of, and this is through blockchain and through crypto and NFTs, the potential for X to earn and charge to X models. So X to earn means uh, play to earn, for example, is the most well-known one. But as we move into a metaverse future where people have a super profile on a blockchain and they fully control that, you can, for example, look at apps like Data Keeper, which is already been developed at Rabobank, where you have your own, you know, identity your, and all the documents to do with your identity in an app on a blockchain, and you can share them and you can time that and you can have control over that, mm-hmm. as and that will be controlled to, a com, you know. Com, uh, uh, connected to your super profile, which will be multi-chain in the future, that means that these models will be impactful because there's play to earn, but there can also be learn to earn, which is already being developed, right? So uh, companies are investing uh, in a, a site where people are rewarded for, you know, teaching themselves new skills, which can have an impact on the, the you know, the job market. Because if you're looking for somebody and there's non- nobody available with that skill, Now, companies have an opportunity to drive that kind of need uh, early on. But there can also be things like um, uh, um, uh, experience to earn, right? So players, in the future, you won't be able to get marketing by forcing people to sign up with their profiles. So you need to think differently about that. Mm -hmm. So in e-commerce now, what you could do, for example, is let's say that you're selling uh, shoes online and you're doing that and there's an NFT connected to the shoes Uh, You can then ask people to allow to share with you in in, um, exchange for, for example, a price reduction on the product or for extra features, you can ask them to share certain information with you to get an insight into into their background and to better understand your target audience. So uh, in terms of e-commerce now, rather than just gathering as much data from your customers, trying to do that, whether they want it or not, or, you know, uh, in any way you can in the future, E-commerce models will be very dependent on a sort of a mutual acceptance, understanding, and collaboration, and a give-tit-for-tat, a give-and-take kind of relationship mm-hmm. to to get the understanding of your audience, and at the same time reward them for sharing that with you, which mm-hmm. will, in exchange, also allow you to you know create products that align more with their needs and their interests, etc. Um, I yeah. hope that is an answer to your question.
1: No, 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 that's good. It's like um, in terms of buying and purchasing its it's like a dialogue now. It's no longer, I want this product, I pay this this price for it, I get this product next. It's a kind of a, it's like a dance that's happening in in terms of all the the stakeholders involved. We should call you the the marketeer, the 21st century marketeer. Um, By the way, I've, I've seen your photorealistic avatar or digital twin, I'm very impressed indeed. How do you go about creating one of those?
0: Um well you can uh, all, Epic Games released a kind of plugin for Unreal Engine 5 uh, last year which is called MetaHumans and that allows you to create super realistic avatars however uh, using that it's still kind of a hard job to make it actually exactly look like a person so right up and right now you're still forced to go about that a different way. And so in this case, I had to go to the University of Breda at Applied Applied Sciences uh, and they have a virtual production studio where they scanned me with, I don't know, you know, like a hundred Canon uh, cameras at the same time to take, you know, it's like bullet time, taking all these pictures at the same time. So they scanned me, and then these scans uh, were given to a team and these, that this team turned yeah. it into a Fogarita Skaftar. Sounds
1: like the $6 million man. It,
0: well, it was it was uh, $38,000, I think. So <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was not cheap.
1: Goodness me. Yeah. Um, Aragorn Mullendex, such an enjoyable, informative conversation. Many thanks for your time and insights.
0: It's been my absolute pleasure, Elaine.
1: Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Head's Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, Elainepringle.com forward slash Headstalk wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you, for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of international.
0: Head's Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter.